This week on Behind the Idea, we take a step into a potential value trap by looking at cars.com. You take a short thesis from Seeking Alpha author Books Research and wonder if things are as bad as they look for the company on the surface. I wonder about the potential headwinds the used car industry faces as a whole. How valuable will a used car be five to ten years from now if you are at an advent of increased autonomous technologies or increased electrification or whatever other major changes in the industry? Mike revisits work he did on the company a couple years ago to lay down a personal valuation manifesto. Uh, but I got made fun of in the comments for saying, I think that this deserves a PE of 10. And I think one of the beauties of investing is that I just get to make that decision for myself, that, that that's the multiple I think is appropriate. The thing about value traps is that there's something there, but it's unclear whether that value will ever get out to shareholders before the business bleeds away which makes for an interesting short case, too. Is that what we have on our hands with Cars.com? We break it down on Behind the Idea. Welcome to Behind the Idea. I am Mike Taylor. And I'm Daniel Schwartzman. Today we are covering cars.com, ticker symbol, cars. We're taking a short idea from books, research, B-O-O-X, research, on the company to break down a competitive environment and a potential value trap. And while Daniel and I often come from a value orientation, we've been called value hipsters by ourselves and others. This week, we're going to see what differentiates deep value from value traps and whether investors can spot that difference ahead of time. Before we begin, Behind the Idea is the podcast that looks at what makes great investment analysis work based on ideas from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem. Neither Daniel nor I have any positions in any stocks we expect to discuss. And as ever, nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. So Daniel, Books Research has a short case on cars.com. Got us started. What What's going on? The author has a really crisp argument here for why we should be bearish on cars.com. We have industry level issues, declining car sales in the U S and globally. We have increased competition from newer generation web firms, such as car gurus and Carvana, and also from historic used car dealers like CarMax and then AutoNation, also a player in the industry. And so they're operating in an increasingly crowded space and the numbers support the fact that they are not apparently the winner. The revenues for 2019 are guided to be likely a little bit down 
they are, meanwhile, their competitors are outgrowing them. And so it doesn't seem like they're gaining share. They're not gaining profitability. And so it, it just, it's sort of a perfect storm of bottom-up problems, challenges with their industry and with their operations and top-down problems or challenges with the, with the broader macro and sector climate. Yeah. And so you mentioned competition and that's clearly, and I think the, the total market in this space is really important, but let's kind of quickly to like talk about what cars.com's business model is. So my understanding is cars.com, their primary customers are car dealerships and what they offer car dealerships is basically the audience of people who type in cars.com to the URL who are potential buyers of cars. And so they're a sort of gigantic sales funnel for all the car dealerships in the United States. So when we talk about car, when we talk about competition, we're kind of talking about competition in the area of generating leads for car dealerships and I guess you could think of that as either a very narrow market in the sense that there are a few websites that try and aggregate these audiences of car buyers. But on the other hand, there are so many people who are interested in driving vehicle sales that you could also consider it to be a very large and fractured and competitive market. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, or one area that I think the author may have sort of elided as far as breaking down the competitors is I imagine that they have different models in terms of where do they get their revenue? What are they, what are they trying to bring together? Cars.com talks a lot about a two-sided marketplace, trying to bring the buyers and the sellers, but then yeah, over, I think it was over 80% of their business is from dealers and then most of the rest is from national brands. So they're really trying to bring customers who might buy the cars, but they're making their money from the sellers. And so I, you know, Carvana's model or car gurus, I think car gurus is pretty close to cars.com, but true car, I think is had, had in the past has been viewed as competing with the dealers a little bit. And so how you think about all those different parts, but at the end of the day, they're all just trying to help people find the right car for them and buy it. And that to me, when you sort of think about the market that way, there's, there's a clearer constraint on what is available out there. And that also makes me think of probably to some degree why some entities can grow so fast while cars.com, which has grown their revenue at a decent clip over the last few years. But in Q1, they were down uh, three or 4%. And then, you know, as, as stated, their guidance is for slowing revenue. And so, but there's differences in how you're sort of attacking that broader pie. But I have to think that there's, there's not going to be sudden new value to come from helping people make a transaction for their car. And so then, yeah, you have to kind of consider what are the different ways that people are finding a car? What different matchmaking is there in the industry? Right. So 
With that, let's get into some of these key points that books make. So one of the main things that you just highlighted was declining revenue growth. And <clears throat> books makes the case that cars.com is losing market share additionally. So when I looked at the revenue growth decline, I noticed that there had been another decline in revenue growth in 2018, according to the chart that he shows. And I'm wondering maybe, maybe we're more in like a steady equilibrium where things fluctuate around. Uh, if it's true that the market is more or less mature, then potentially these combatants are just going to kind of fight each other and make incremental gains that will then be given back at a later time. Uh, I wasn't, so I guess that is our old chestnut of, you know, cyclical versus secular, temporary versus long-term. I didn't find that to be an overly dramatic thing. I think it's like kind of the case being made here is that books has identified sort of the beginning of what will be a continuing trend going downward in terms of cars.com's market share, or it's just as revenue growth. What did you think? Yeah, I think we we're setting aside the cyclical and the top down stuff, but the fact that car gurus, I pulled up their year over year quarterly, you know, and they grew something like 30% year over year in Q1 and, they seem to be able to continue to transact and continue to drive new revenue growth. And so I think there's something to be said for the case that it's not just a matter of equilibrium. It does seem like cars.com. I think the author uses at some point the phrase eating their lunch. You know, we don't, we're, we're not getting into the specifics of at the dealer level, who's going where, but I think there's a case the author cites that there are only 43,000 dealerships in the U.S. Uh, per car gurus. And so uh, when you have that sort of, that's who's going to pay you money. And then there's only so much, there's only so much you can expand beyond that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think there, I think you're right. There's probably some equilibrium of the TAM here, the total addressable market. It doesn't seem like a super fast growth market. And it's interesting because cars.com comes out of, was spun off from old media century. It was, a, I think, a Gannett property originally. Tegna. Tegna. Right. Yeah. And so it was spun out of Tegna. I think it's, you know, it's essentially a modern form of classified ads online, but it, it, there's not a clear... I don't know exactly how Carvana and Car Gurus and the other faster growers spin it, but a lot of this has moved online. I don't think we're at that sort of adoption phase to where you start doing stuff online. I think a lot of it is already there. And so it doesn't seem like there's a, a tailwind from that that Cars.com could take advantage of. It doesn't seem like the sick cycle is super favorable for them either. And then when you see other t other teams putting up numbers on the board that are outpacing your numbers or when your numbers are kind of going backwards. And yeah, I think it's, I think there's something to be said for the equilibrium, but I also think it does seem like it's unduly impacting cars.com unless there's specific strategic implications or decisions they're making to refocus or whatever else. 
Ah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Daniel, because I looked at the analyst call uh, for the quarter and I don't know how much credit to give to any of these things, but management did mention a couple of things. So one is that they reconfigured and retrained the sales force to, they had bought this company, I guess, I forget it. It had a cool name. I forget what it's called. Dealer Inspire. Dealer Inspire. Dealer Dealer Inspire. Inspire. Inspire your dealer. Your car dealer. Inspire your car dealer, folks. Only in the car. Only in the car market. Yeah. Dealer Inspire. So they bought this company. If you go to that website, it's a very slick startup. Uh, Basically positions itself as a kind of data and analytics management for car dealerships. And cars.com bought this company. And some of the things they talk about on the call is sort of two things going on. One, they're retraining the sales force. I would imagine that some of that has to do with this new capability that they've bought with tracking and managing dealer analytics as a kind of value added service that they can provide dealers as they're also bringing customers into the funnel. So the, the story that management would and did tell essentially is that like we had some churn because this is a very relationship driven customer dynamic between us and the dealerships when we sort of shifted into this new sales pitch and this new value proposition related partly to the acquisition we expected to see some turnover some churn in our client base and they're guiding for a return to growth in Q3 of this year. So that's one sort of thing that books, I think, doesn't really discuss in the article very much, but is a potential explainer. I, You know, we're, you're supposed to be skeptical when you listen to management on these calls, and they're generally going to be trying to paint the best picture possible. But... If you believe that the acquisition is a value add and a differentiator can sustain a moat and keep cars.com ahead of its competition in terms of share and awareness and all those other KPI numbers that do seem to be going in a decent direction, then maybe this is a sort of temporary headwind. Do you buy it? Yeah, it's interesting looking over the conference call as you were saying that. And we were talking earlier about how, you know, cars.com is a website. We work for Seeking Alpha, which is a website. And so some of the KPIs, they cite their search engine optimization traffic, which I was also looking back at the case learning conference that we covered in December and Carousel Capital had come out short car gurus and said how much car gurus is levered to that sort of Google um yeah yeah power cars probably is better well so let's yeah let's just get into this i i was quick tangent i was listening to meb faber's podcast the uh yesterday and he had um david huber saber capital guy is that his name he had a he had a portfolio manager on john huber i think john humor uh so we'll Yeah, John Huber, he had on, who's a concentrated value investor. And they were talking about Campbell Soup and how Campbell had this great moat for a long time that was just built on brand awareness and marketing. 
and shelf placement in grocery stores. And the way it worked was Campbell's was like what's what people thought of when they thought of soup. And then it was the first thing they saw when they went into the grocery store. And that gave Campbell's this great pricing power on its soup. And that expanded margin allowed them to spend a lot of money on sales and marketing expenses to help maintain that awareness and maintain that brand positioning and maintain that moat within the grocery store context. And I bring Campbell Soup up because I think cars.com is trying to run a very similar game with its business model. It invests a lot in advertising. It has these larger than I would expect gross margins. It, it, it relies on this kind of top of mind status and probably the reason that I thought of this is because you mentioned sort of the lever of search, search, search leverages to search for companies like car gurus and cars.com has an advantage because it's, website name is cars.com and you can just type in that URL. Maybe that's a flimsy advantage, but I think it gets into this concept of where might there be a moat here? The, the story of Campbell's is kind of, well, now with Instagram, social media, YouTube, and all these other things, there are all these other awareness channels that Campbell's can't control. And no matter how much it spends, it can't prevent new entrants onto these different digital platforms so, you know, whatever meathead brand protein max soup startup comes along is going to give Campbell a much harder time. People can buy the, that stuff online. And so it's just a shifting market dynamic. And I wonder whether the key question, I think, for cars.com in terms of sustaining growth and sustaining nice profit margins is, whether new entrants on the digital realm of this car purchase decision environment, whether it can ward them off. And I think the strength of Books's thesis is, and just the intuitive answer is we shouldn't expect cars.com to sort of maintain great share when how hard could it be to start a similar website? and just sort of eat into it. And there are a lot of names in the space already. Yeah, I do I do think the cars.com is, there is value to that. I think a lot of people don't even type in the full URL, they just type cars into their search client or their browser or whatever, and cars.com will show up quickly. So it sounds silly, but I, you know, that's the world we live in. That's how people find information and I think and I, I would think that your car buying is more of a browser search environment than it is a social media sort of flipping through sort of thing, at least when it comes to making the buy. So that that I buy. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what that would look like, like an Instagram car influencer. I would, I mean, I assume they're out there and I would assume that the way it looks is just that they get you excited about the car and maybe they're trying to funnel you to somebody, but also you're going to probably just go and look, where can I buy this cool car in my area or whatever? And then you're going to, and that's where cars.com or 
competitors can kind of, well, and, you know, I think they're more focused on used cars. So that also plays a role there. I just Googled 10 most powerful social media influencers in the auto world. But it led me to a website that doesn't seem to have the article. So whatever, <laughs> whoever those people are, they're out there and they're, uh, they're probably super rad. What's up, guys? Just got back from driving my 1500 2019 Ram and it is spacious. <laughs> Little pricey, but you know, that's what you got to do if you want to crush it through the mudslides. I don't know what they would say, but it's probably something like that. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, like work. a handsome dude with sunglasses and a spiky, was, spiky I'm, hair. I was Although seeing for trucks, dried cow- Blow dried what? <laughs> Blow dried hair, but you're. Blow yeah. dried hair. Cowboy. Yeah. I could see like an authentic cowboy doing really well in the sort of he- heavier vehicle <laughs> market. <laughs> so it's possible. Yeah, so- cowboy car influencer. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, y'all. <laughs> it's Chuck here with another truck review. <laughs> yeah, it's probably, right. probably going to be pretty good. Um, well, it's, it's, so, it's so cars has that advantage. They also have their big, I think it was in the article. It was either in the article or one of their slideshows, you know, cars.com showing up on the side of a hockey rink, the boards of a hockey ice rink. You know, they and they talk about sponsor of the Stanley Cup playoffs, PGA championships, March Madness. Like they're definitely sort of like our old friend Papa John's. They are definitely trying to advertise and that, you know, historically old friend. <laughs> <laughs> old person we know about, Papa John's. <laughs> right. Full disclaimer, no actual relationship with the pizza chain beyond doing it. We podcast. don't hang out, yeah. Um. <laughs> Don't hang out with Mr. Schnatter. No. Yeah. So, all right. So there's the Campbell's game going on. And that's probably, I think the key issue here with cars.com is whether it has a moat. And I think, so we talked a little bit about the things it does to maintain awareness. We talked about a little bit of a vulnerability. I think another step, I mean, the acquisition and this, autocorrect initiative that cars.com has started, which is a nice pun. We both agreed before the show. Good, good work there. Good work. Autocorrect. There. Whoever. Yeah. Give that person a promotion that the data driven thing I could see as being a moat because while it may be easy to set up a website that lists and links to dealerships, we, we are not on the ad sales side of seeking alpha, but we do know from our experience within the financial news industry that ad buyers and customers who are looking to reach audiences are always looking for sophisticated analytics to help convince them and let them measure the efficacy of their campaigns or their presence on different websites. And that is not easy to construct. I think all media companies do struggle with this question of, well, did, did we drive a conversion or what really happened with the user? And so I, I would be incrementally bullish on the acquisition and on cars.com's business model to the extent that 
it's effective in sort of solving that pain point, which is a big pain point, a known pain point for basically any sort of attention-driven media-based business model. Well, and it's also, you know, you cited the Q3 is when they're expecting to see, and they call it sequential dealer growth. That's when they sort of expect to get rolling again. And I think that's where the one of the other topics, which we talk about a lot, but is also where are we as far as cyclical auto sales? What is What are we expecting there? And I think that looms, I remember thinking about that when at the Carousel presentation on car gurus, I think one of us may have even asked about that at the at the conference. But the you would think that the incremental any headwinds in the auto industry, which either cyclical or macro, in the sense of it could just be that we're at at the end of a cycle. I think I didn't pull up the chart before this call, but I think we were talking about how the standard auto vehicles chart is more or less flat over the last three or four years, which is kind of weird. But so the question is, are we sort of, is that a risk here that might lead to declining auto sales? Auto sales, I think are down a little bit this year so far. And is, or is there a chance that this is sort of a soft landing and then it kind of turns around into a more positive run sooner than we think because there's still slack in the economy or whatever else but then also with all the other stuff and i think it's come up we talked about lyft at some point we talked about gm last year just all the headwinds in the auto industry as a changing industry to where used cars as sort of a secondary player there like how valuable will a used car be five to ten years from now if you are at an advent of increased autonomous technologies or increased electrification or whatever other major changes in the industry, it would seem like that would be something, you know, presumably people are still going to be changing the assets they own in their house. They're still going to be trading cars in and out, but it's still something I would think about as both short-term and long-term for cars.com. How does that, how are they positioned for a, a world where the car may the way that car functions in our day-to-day life may change. Yeah. Uh, whenever we run up, I mean, I've become probably increasingly difficult for you to talk to about these things over time. Cause I, you're never difficult. Like, Oh, d- thank you. Never difficult. So easy. Yeah. <laughs> so easy to interact with me. If that's what, <laughs> that's what all my feedback says. Um, <laughs> as an employee and as a husband and, as a friend. <laughs> the uh, I, we keep written feedback of quarterly performance reviews in all my relationships from <laughs> from corporate all the way through to my my dog Boo and everything, everything in between. And uh, data driven, yeah. data driven KPIs, yeah, all over the place. What was I? Oh, so yeah, so I am difficult to work with in this one particular area, which is talking about the cycle and the potential of it turning. And the reason is because we thought that there, there was a sort of dip in 2016 and the shale, shale boom kind of having the air let out of it and all that stuff. And we had a little bit of a mini dip in the economy. We had another scare in December where the stock market started to go down. 
the yield curve has inverted and is getting, you know, increasingly sort of inverted. Those are all warning signs that may or may not result in a change in the economy and the economic tide. And so I'm going to reiterate that we don't know and we can't plan. And then I'm going to add something this time that may make our conversation less difficult the next time, which is two, two legs to this. One is you can't live your life in fear. You have to, like, you can't just be looking for the next recession all the time. But two, this should be part of, this should be part of your valuation process and you should take this in and, and adjust your, the multiple you're willing to pay, adjust the discount rate you assign based on cyclicality, I think. So my answer is it matters to the business analysis, but there's a way to kind of just factor it in, in how attractive you think the stock is relative to its fundamentals. Is that fair? Is that fair, Daniel? Yeah, it's fair. Let me ask you then, earlier we were talking about you would pose the idea that maybe we're just at an equilibrium and maybe these competitors are just kind of taking share off each other and it'll balance out over time. And you've actually, and we'll get into it a little bit, but you've actually looked at cars.com closer in the past. And what my question is, is, okay, let's say we can't, TAM is presumably all dealer transactions of used cars, maybe even new cars sold off a dealership, whatever else. And that will be whatever it will be. Does that, what was my Mm. question going to be? Given that sort of static nature of whatever that high level thing is, how do you, you said you can factor it into your valuation, but how do you factor it in here given where we, what we talked about earlier with cars competitive position and how they seem to be doing, like, I'm not asking you for your valuation on the spot, but how would you balance these trying to figure out? Cause I guess what I'm, what I think investors need to ask is, you know, you've posed management's case for why this is a temporary slowdown. So you have to say, okay, is this temporary or is this more long-term? Is this caused by competition, our own execution, which we can fix or, the macro climate and then like so sitting as a as a pundit as a podcast host as a third party analyst like how do you how are you sorting through those things those those different elements of where this thesis might be where this you know we're looking at a short case for a company that's near its 52 week lows and all time lows since it's been off so how are you how would you balance those things well you, you didn't ask me for a evaluation on the spot, but maybe I can just give one. It's currently at a forward PE of 12 at a share price of 21.50 about. Chop that down to forward PE of 10, and then maybe it's worth looking at. So whatever that is in terms of the share price. It's uh, 16% lower than where we are now. I think that this, this is where I think the, the rubber meets the road and you start to look at your soul and who you are as an investor. And by the way, you've, this was you making my life difficult, Daniel. So thank you for that. Sorry. But I think, look, I mean, I got, 
when I did my first, when Cars.com spun off a couple years ago, I did, I wrote a valuation piece for SeekingAlpha.com, which is now in the archive behind our Seeking Alpha Essential subscriber paywall. But for Seeking Alpha Essential subscribers, you can look at it yourself and derive all the tremendous value that and insight that's in there. I just, uh, but I got made fun of in the comments for saying, I think that this deserves a PE of 10. And I think one of the beauties of investing is that I just get to make that decision for myself, that, that that's the multiple I think is appropriate. And I don't, I think it's good if you kind of account systematically for things like the industry trends and the business structure, the cyclical versus secular dynamics. You can, if you want, weight all those things in a kind of table and then say, okay, the, I score it on this on industry dynamics, this on, on the cycle and this, and then I weight each of those things. And that gives me some sort of output for how I want to think about the valuation. Uh, I didn't do that, but I think that subconsciously internally, that's kind of the, the 10 PE is a, is a function of looking all that stuff and saying, okay, that's, uh, that's where I think you can start where the risk starts to be worth it on valuation. And so that's a potentially unsatisfying answer and maybe a frustrating answer for our listeners who demand that we know exhaustively every single detail and uh, respect to all you for doing such diligent work of your own. But I also think that that's part of the beauty. You just have to get, you have to get what's important, right? In investing and the stock either goes up or down. And that's kind of the beauty is you, your thought process just has to be right on the most important things. And so when I look at stuff like this personally, I try to be conservative on valuation and I try to mentally adjust where I think something should be. And to take company specific risk, I demand a high earnings yield of 10%. Otherwise, uh, I don't bother. And so that's my thought process on something like this. I'd have to re-look at the stuff more carefully to make a similar call at this point, but I think cars.com is more or less the same business with the same strategy that it was when I first looked. I have long thought that it was too expensive and got made fun of for that at the time. And it may never reach a price that's attractive for me, but that's okay. Like Mike Boyd said, you just, you just wait. And if it comes around, then it comes around, but otherwise um, just let it sit, but stay true to yourself. So I don't feel like I have to be accountable to the outside world on that particular choice, because I think it's a choice that each investor gets to make. And you should be able to explain the basis for it when you're sharing analysis. But ultimately, it's in the world of different people will have different opinions. I think that's where we cross from looking at what's right and what's not into looking at what your individual risk tolerance is and what your just general approach to the stock market is. And that's mine. I slap a 10, 10 PE on earnings and that's to me, a meaningful way of going about it for better, right or wrong.
that's kind of my initial take. Well, I, I want to, one of the things you wrote in your conclusion that I think this is written again, when the company first sort of spun off almost exactly two years ago, it's a little bit more than two years. You wrote that you wrote about their balance sheet issues and the fact that they would be taking on a term loan to give money back to Tegna, their parent. But you had, you said, with a per share strike price of $12, executive compensation plans set something of a floor above a conservative margin of safety value of $9 to $10. I worry about being too much of a valuation hipster and missing an opportunity. Investors love companies that advertise on TV and catch catchy ticker symbols are sometimes enough to send a stock on a, stocks on a tear. And what I like about that is you also, you, you actually sort of nailed it. You said the stock may tra- trade anywhere from 15 to 30, which I think when we look at that before it happens, that sounds a little bit like, all right, come on, dude, you've just given us like the stock might double or might get cut in half. Like what sort of a range is that? But then when you read, you know, we talk all the time about Joel Greenblatt or other investing books and you read and they'll just say, they'll, you know, they'll throw in 21 and a quarter or whatever, but they'll, they just talk about the stocks moving up and down and they do move up and down that much. That happens. I mean, it, it has happened in the last six months or nine months when you go back from Q4 last year to where we are now, like stocks do move up and down quite a lot. And we have a tendency to sort of not see that coming in a good way. And so I think you had a good framework for it. The And you did get some crap from commenters about how you would never get a chance to buy. And now at this stage, it doesn't look like it's all that worth buying. I guess the question I want to ask as a long buildup and we can maybe cinch it up here is we've talked about cars.com and this is where we go back to the short case, which I, I find short cases that kind of pick out the straggling gazelle in the herd that is falling back and that is already showing signs of wear or to use another metaphor, the axles are starting to fall off. Like I find those sorts of short ideas to be really compelling because I think there's a lot of intuition to that. That's how organizations often work is that they kind of don't hold together once things really start to go awry. The question here is you, you put a very conservative m- multiple. And as we look at cars.com right now, we're talking about, excuse me, a r- relatively competitive space or a quite competitive space. I don't think you weren't, you didn't mention car gurus or Carvana two years ago, not that you should have, but just as an example of newer competitors coming in and they're, rev- they're forecasting slowing revenue gr- growth at the minimum this year. They're, they've made a, they've spent a lot of their cash on, I think it was a $157 million acquisition of this dealer inspire, which could develop a moat, but is also somewhat speculative. I think proofs in the pudding, whether that plays out, they have some legacy sort of old school Campbell soup type of moats, but they don't really, it's still not obvious that the logo sort of looks older fashioned. It's not obvious to me that that's where I should go to deal with trying to find a car. And so I guess the question is, even if it were at a 10 PE at some point, this is, this is the deep value versus value trap 
argument, I guess. At yeah. some point, w- when you get that low, like, not that the price is telling you that something wrong, but presumably, if the v- price gets there, it's because the business is struggling. What do you like? Is it worth it even then? You know what I mean? Like, it, it, and that's the argument in the you'll see quite a lot on FinTwit or wherever else is that value investing in this day and age can't just be about multiples because the stocks that trade at such bad multiples are, or such attractive multiples tend to be bad companies. And so I'm just curious how you think about that with the perspective that you have from being relatively vindicated over cars.com. Thanks, Daniel. One one way to be vindicated in your analysis is to make to call for such an extreme range in price fluctuations because uh, the wider you get, the easier it is to be right. And I was wide, so I was right. To the question, I think I think that's where when I said ten as a PE, I think I was referring to the kinds of things that are harder for us to look at and forecast, and those are macro dynamics and to some extent dynamics within industry. So whether the auto cycle turns and whether cars.com sort of has loses market share, is unable to maintain it, is unable to grow it, experiences continued revenue declines. I think that that's a separate consideration and that's one starting point for the kind of 10 PE. I wrote the 10 PE there under the circumstances of the initial article I think things are largely the same, but slightly worse. So that would be, I would be making adjustments based on further due diligence on these dynamics. I'm not comforted by the Campbell suit model. The more we talk about it, I do think that there's room for entrance here. And I applaud books research, both for taking this total addressable market TAM approach, which is one that doesn't occur to me as I'm doing my own research that well, but I think is a really effective way of considering how mature a business is and how much more upside is left. And I think the most damning element of this research is it's really hard to picture where additional growth is going to come from. On top of that, I basically believe the FinTwit line. You can look at a lot of sort of more quantitative based research that shows that alpha on the long side of stock investments, especially in the US, is basically been compressed to ridiculously low levels and where there still is some alpha to generate is on the short side. And I think that, you know, the value factor has underperformed for a long time. And one one of the reasons for that is I think that the market has probably just become much more efficient in identifying undervalued companies that are solid. I think that uh, we've gotten better at that, especially in spaces where the business is easier to understand and a media company would qualify. So I think that leads me to generally avoid. I think what you would need to be excited about the opportunity would be a more tangible rationale for why there's a disconnect to intrinsic value. The reason I looked at cars.com at the beginning was because of the spin-off dynamics and that, you know, whether it's so true today as it was when Greenblatt wrote, you can be a stock market genius. The rationale there is that, you know, there's forced selling because 
shareholders don't want the spinoff. There's not index inclusion. Someone commented on my article mentioned the S&P 500 index as a potential catalyst to drive some price increases for cars.com. I don't see that now. I think the default is that the pricing is efficient. And I think books did a good job of capping the upside. And so, I don't know. You'd have to adjust the PE lower than that. And my unfortunate conclusion right now is this is like a stay away. And it kind of does feel like a short. I've just been trying throughout our conversation to put in some additional put some additional meat on the bone in terms of the context and, you know, what management's trying to do, but I'm not bullish on, on the stock, uh, even at a 10 PE probably. Yeah. It would be interesting to hear more. I think that's what was missing from the article and what is missing thus from our discussion is not your article. The book's research article is the analysis of the competitors from more of a, more of a, unit level is not the right term, but from the ground, like what actually makes it different, the different companies? What, why is CarGurus doing better? What are they actually executing on that allows them to grow revenue, for example? And then also to hear what is this, get a better understanding of does this make sense, what cars.com is trying to do? Are they actually, because they can, you know, we've seen, there are examples of business transformations where somebody makes a, a, a bet on a new approach or whatever else. And so maybe this autocorrected or something else is going to drive new growth. And even if they, even if they hit a cycle, the fact that they start to gain share internally, they don't have a terrible balance sheet. They still have a lot of that term loan, but they also generate a good amount of free cash flow. So they're even buying back shares. So yeah, that would be, I think that those are the sort of two blind spots we have right now are more understanding on how cars.com is trying to act within this and how, what actually differentiates them from their competitors. But yeah, I agree that on the face, this, this is a very clear cut and compellingly made short thesis that doesn't spend a lot of time on valuation, but just sort of makes it, makes you feel like this is a company that you're not going to get a lot of value out of as a shareholder. And so, so tip of the hat to that. Yeah. Melting ice cube. Felt like a melting ice cube. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Gosh, so. don't like that. <laughs> Especially not in the summer. The ice cubes, they melt too fast. Yeah, bummer. We hit our low energy point. I think it's time to close it. I should have made much more hay of you giving me any props for my analysis, but we got to stay humble here at Behind the Idea. That's really important. <laughs> Just keep our head down, keep grinding. Amid all the praise we get from commenters and all the effusive <laughs> reviews we get, we gotta, it's up to us to keep our egos in check. So that's what I was doing there. Next time, <laughs> though, I'll point. probably do a little bit more of a victory lap. Cars.com. Go to the go to the website. Check out the check out the fifteen hundred ramps. Here I'm back in my influencer. Uh, <laughs> check out the fifteen hundred. <laughs> Looks great, <laughs> man. I great interior entertainment system. I was looking at it. It's they're expensive, but it would be cool to have a giant truck. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta right. go. Yeah, that's where we end. <laughs>
That's enjoy, your, enjoy your drive. Mike dreaming about his trucks. Okay. <laughs> See you, Daniel. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Behind the Idea. We hope you enjoyed this. If you did enjoy it, or even if you didn't, leave us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as that helps listeners find this podcast and or tells us how to improve. If you're shyer, email us at btipod at seekingalpha.com to let us know what's up. If you have any recommendations, we'd love to hear from you as well. This has been a Seeking Alpha production. Thank you for listening, and see you next week on Behind the Ideas.